welcome back to another episode of Attention to Detail, and I am delighted to be joined again by my my fabulous co-host who is joining us remotely. I think from from Indiana, is that right? Hannah, where are you uh, coming to yeah. us from? Yeah, I'm from, I'm currently in rural Indiana, so about an hour west of Indianapolis, if you're familiar with the area listeners. I hope that you are. Nice. Any uh, exciting holiday Thanksgiving plans? Well, I mean, 2020 is looking a lot different than other holidays, but I'm looking, I always look forward to the food for Thanksgiving and the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is still happening. It's just different, which I'll be very interested to see what measures they take this year in like a very just intrigued way. Um, so yeah, there's things to look forward to. What about you? I was not planning on watching the Macy's Thanksgiving <laughs> Day Parade. To be honest, I don't. Do think you I've, ever watch? I don't think I've ever seen it. It <laughs> sounds entertaining, but I. Uh, I don't know that that's ever the tradition from where I'm from, uh, southeastern Michigan, is to watch football on Thanksgiving, specifically the Detroit Lions, and specifically mm-hmm. watch them lose, which they seem to do every single year in sometimes incredibly dramatic fashion. So that's as much of a tradition as anything else is around here. But I'm looking forward to that. It, they never... The incredible thing about the Lions is that they always seem to trick you into thinking they're going to win, and then they find some miraculous way to do exactly the opposite. <laughs> so those are my only plans for Thanksgiving. I'm also, as you know, uh, this is my first Thanksgiving as a vegetarian. So oh. that'll be a interesting new change tweak on Thanksgiving. So what's the plan? Is it tofurkey? Uh, actually, I think I'm staying with my parents and I think my mom is making some sort of mushroom something. I'm sure it will be delicious. Uh, I am the beneficiary of my dad is also a vegetarian and my mom is a fantastic cook. And so Mm. whenever I'm home, I just get incredibly high quality vegetarian (laughs) food. Unlike when I'm staying by myself, when it's pretty much pasta every day. So, in any case, let's move on to our actual topic of today, which is not so much about Thanksgiving, but it's about music and classical music. And specifically, we want to ask the question today, I think a really interesting question, actually, is silence music? And there's a few, that's that's a big question, there's a few questions embedded in there. One of them is... What is silence, actually? Um, is there such a thing as perfect silence? I mean, in, in on Earth, in our human experience, we know that not to be fully true. There's no... I don't think there's any place you can go on Earth. I know there's no place you can go on Earth that's completely silent um, in a kind of literal sense. So what is silence? And can that be music? Is it always music? Is it never music? Um, that's the type of question that we're hoping to get at today. I don't know that we'll answer all of them, but I just want to start, um, thinking a little bit about this idea of, of silence. Hannah, just initial impressions before we actually start listening to music. Um, what's your, what's your thought about, uh, 
is silence music and kind of do you do you even is it something you've thought about in the past that there are these moments of silence in music is that something that you have even noticed on a kind of I mean we all experience music and there are moments where the music stops but have you ever actually sat back and thought about that and if so uh, what are your thoughts on that? If not, uh, how does it feel to think about it now? I'm curious. Yeah, I think it's um, multifaceted for me. I think in the area of classical music, um, silence can sort of like play tricks on you, especially if you are new to the piece or new to the genre in general. You can sometimes, especially in a live setting, be caught off guard by the silences and think, oh, the piece is done and clap. And then, oh, you're in the middle of a movement or this audience has decided not to clap in between movements. (laughs) So there's that. And then I also think of music as an art form and that silence can be art through that music, if that makes sense. But then also like silence in general across all art forms can be very profound like without getting too uh, off topic have you seen the sopranos jacob i've seen some of the sopranos some of it yeah. are you familiar with the like famous ending of the sopranos uh, you know? no i'm not i'm no. not you I can spoil it for me i won't like completely spoil it for you or for any of the listeners though i do encourage you to watch it especially during quarantine it's a great watch um the way it ends is they they use silence, abrupt silence, in a, in a profound way to end the show, to make you think, um, and to really catch you off guard. And I think silence and and music can do that ser- very same thing, to the point of making you think and making a statement. Um, so I'm excited to to talk some more about it today. Yeah, I think that's that's those are great insights. And I think one thing that you pointed to, one of the questions that we kind of have to think about is, like you said, there's there's actually this moment for a lot of people. It's it's a more practical application of this silence idea, but this moment when pieces sometimes stop and you don't really know if they're done or if they're not done is the end of a movement the end of music or is the silence in between movements part of the music? And then if we extend that question, when does the piece actually start? Is it the first note or is it before the first note? Is the silence before the first note part of it? Is the silence after the last note part of it? Or is there this kind of definitive beginning ending to pieces? These are all questions that we have to think about when we're thinking about is silence music. And I actually think... Uh, in one sense, it feels really easy to answer. It's like, of course not. The, the first note is, is the first note, and uh, the last note is the last note. But I think as we listen to some music, it might be a little more kind of... Uh, it might raise some more questions on this, this topic. So with that, what I'm going to ask you to do, Hannah, is I'm going to play for you a few clips of music, and they're all going to have some sort of moment of silence in them. And of course, again, it's not perfect silence. In this case, it's just moments where the music stops and then continues. And I want you to tell me, I want you to kind of apply the techniques that we've used on this podcast. Our hearing ideas technique is a good one where we kind of attach a signifier to 
a musical idea, but this time the musical idea that we're going to be listening to is the actual silence. And so what I want you to do is, is listen to the music before and after and tell me how the silence actually feels, if anything. And if you feel like it's a real kind of like, we just stop and nothing happens for a sec, then that's fine. But I have a, I have a feeling that uh, at least some of these times you'll feel like the silence is more, it's a pregnant pause. There's actually something in there that that is suggested. So, so that's the plan. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so we're going to start with a piece by Wagner. We're going to start right at the end of uh, the Ring Cycle, Shortcut, 19 Hours of Music. But here's a little clip from the end of Götterdammerung, and there's a moment of silence, then the music continues, and Hannah, your job is to tell us what you think about this moment of silence. So here we go. Here's the first clip that we're going to listen to from Götterdammerung. So there's our first clip, Hannah. I'm I'm interested in your thoughts. It kind of the music dies down, and there's this pause, and then something else starts. Any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, just with the context of thinking about the silence in between the two, like two moments of music, it really serves as like a pivoting tool to use, maybe like basketball as a term that you are really making some sort of transition into a different idea or a different thought process, which is really, I don't know. It's, it's nice to think about actually. And do you feel like when you leave off at the end of that first phrase idea of music, does it feel, um, relaxed or expectational or kind of, uh, foreboding like something scary is going to come does does the music that comes after the silence fit your expectation or like you said it's a transition maybe it's different from what you would expect yeah i think especially for this particular piece this listen the first piece of music before the silence ends in a way where i'm not fully satisfied it's gorgeous music of, of course but when i use the word satisfies i i don't feel as if this part of the music has reached its conclusion and then there's a silence and then it goes off into another place so it's almost like a landscaping and then you've reached a different landing and you've seen something completely different yeah i think that's a great description because like you said there's this element of kind of expectation or lack of conclusion before this silence that actually has to do with often that's the case that that's contributed to by the harmony of the music at that particular Mm -hmm. point, not being resolved. Harmony is something we've, we've talked about before on this podcast, but then as you point to here, it kind of switches and it's not like a resolution to that previous idea, 
it's kind of the beginning of a new idea. So I think that's great. So we're going to listen to, we're going to do a few of these here. So we'll move on to our second one. This is a piece by, by Schumann, and it's kind of got a similar, uh, similar layout to this Wagner, but I'm curious, there's a series of silences here, and I'm curious to get your thought on, on these silences as well. So here's a clip from the last movement of Schumann's second symphony. So there's a clip from from Schumann's Second Symphony. Hannah, I actually want you to listen to one more clip from just a little later on in this piece before we talk about that one, because uh, this clip is is in some ways very similar and in some ways very different. We're going to have a very different buildup before a big silence. And then what's going to come after the silence is going to be, I think, very similar to what we just heard. And so I want you to listen to this one as well and just kind of try to notice how the silence is, is different in this case, if it leaves you with a very different feeling than this, this first clip. So there we actually have two moments that come pretty close to each other in this piece where we come to these moments where the the music completely stops. And in both cases, we proceed with kind of tender, uh, soft music. The first one is a little maybe more searching. The second one is a little more grounded in a way. But I'm curious, um, without giving too much away or anything... Hannah, what's your thought on those two different uh, moments of silence? They're, the lead-up to them is very different. Mm, yeah, the lead-up in the first one seems almost... It, re- <laughs> it reminded me, in a sense, almost like just having a nice, lovely conversation with someone where it's just very back and forth and reciprocal. And then the second was very... Um, not heated in like an angry way, but maybe frenzied and just like a sort of maybe passionate way. And then it, there's the silence and then it goes into this sort of sereneness. So it's very different, as you said. And I'm curious how the specific silence, the silence itself actually Mm. feels. So the effect of that silence after the first one versus the second one, um, how did they compare so for the first one, it just felt more natural than the second, what I would say, is in a sense where, you know how you um, can be in relationships where you can just be okay not saying anything or being okay with silences? It sort of felt in that sort of sense. And then for the second, 
it's not the antithesis of that, but it's just like, okay, now I really need to gasp for a breath in this conversation that I'm having with this person. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great point. It's, uh, like you said, the first one feels more natural. Um, not familiar to me. I think anyone who has uh, had the unfortunate fate of, of being in a relationship with me knows that <laughs> that, that just unfortunately doesn't work. There's no, uh, oh, silence will just take care of all of this. But um, <laughs> I'm someone who's profoundly uncomfortable with silence for some reason. But uh, in any case, I think what you pointed to there was an incredibly astute, which is that the first one feels natural. I would even go a step further to say that the first one has this kind of resigned characteristic like the air gets taken out of it a little bit Mm. and so the silences feel really like uh like size almost or like you're you're losing energy whereas the second one is the complete opposite it's it's gearing up it's frenzied like you said and so i think what you pointed to is very uh very keen the the second silence has a much more startling effect Mm. and so the silence itself is filled with kind of anticipation and it feels very out of the blue. So I think that hopefully serves to illustrate how silence can have different characters, which, which inherently seems a little odd. Like that's the one type of music that in theory is constant across all pieces, across all eras. Anytime a composer takes a rest, what we call that's the universal signal for silence. It sounds the same in a way. But it, but it actually doesn't. It's, it's contextualized. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's a great point. So let's, we've got a couple more of these. Um, let's listen to one more by, actually, let's listen to a piece by, by Beethoven. Um, we're now going to go to a string quartet. And these are going to be some silences that happen much more quickly. And this will take a keen ear for Hannah and for our listeners Uh, If you want to listen to this clip a couple of times, it might be worthwhile, but it's just a short clip. And I just want you to listen to the, there's going to be short ideas followed by silences. And I want you to see if you can hear the differences in the, the affect of the silences. So we have this first one by Beethoven. You're going to hear four moments of silence. There's going to be two ideas that are followed by moments of silence, then a little interlude. And then those same two ideas, although much louder, followed by silence. And so we're listening for four moments of silence and how they sound a little different. And if you need to to rewind and listen to this clip a couple of times, by all means do so. So here's Beethoven Opus 18, number one, the very beginning of the first movement, the first notes of his, uh, his first quartet. Here's what they sound like. So Hannah, there we we have four silences, these little ideas, boom, 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 and then it stops, and then we hear that again. And I'm curious uh, if you want to go in a row or just your general impression. But what's your thought about those four silences that we hear there? Um. Well, I think I couldn't help but try to use um, some of your listening techniques that we lay out at the very beginning of the podcast to just sort of 
because this is just a little bit more abstract, um, to help me sort of understand or think about the silences a little bit more. So, um, I sort of set up a, a scene in a sense where I saw a parent with some sort of like child and trying to t- show them how to do something. And, um, so for the first two silences, it's very just instructional and it's very open. But then for the last two, if the listener will crank up the recording all the way up to tell the differences between the four silences and the four, um, measures that break up those silences, they really go all in on the last two. I mean, that those strings are so loud for the last two. And for me in the scene that I was visualizing, it was like the parent was really like wagging their finger at the child. Like, no, this is how you do it. Um, so anyways, that's abstractly how I saw the silences. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's excellent. And I think for me, one thing that I notice on a very minute level, and this is of course what we encourage people to do on this podcast is there's actually only one note that's different from the first to the second idea. Boom, boom, versus boom, boom. And there's this one little note. And for me, the second silence has much more expectation of something going on. The first silence feels like a pretty definitive statement. And so, oh, we just stopped. And then the second one feels like, oh, we're going to continue. But like, like you said, I think it's, it's um, very interesting. What you, th- there's a clear opposition here between the first two silences and the second two silences because the first two are preceded by something very soft and the second two are preceded by something very loud. And I actually thought you were going to say if you turn up the recording really loud, what I could hear on this recording in the silences, which, which I found interesting too, is the ring of the instruments after mm. they play loudly it it continues yes and so you actually hear in those silences the remnants of the previous idea and so they're not actually totally silent um and that kind of brings up another question when we're thinking about these things is music continues to ring for a while after uh after it's been played and so because it's you know it's waves in the air and so Mm. when does a piece actually end is it the second the players stop playing or is it the second that ringing stops in your ears or is it the second that ringing stops in the air even when you can't hear it anymore um yeah as a conductor how do you feel about that especially during live performance because i've sat through many of of a performance and the piece has ended but the conductor hasn't put their arms down to indicate like okay the audience can clap or and the musicians you can sort of rest yeah, well, I think, listen, this is this is a really interesting question, and it was one that I was going to get to at some point, so we should talk oh. about it. No, but this is great. We should talk about it now. It's, it's a perfect time because we heard this kind of ringing uh, in this recording, and this is something I've thought about a lot, and part of the question is, yeah, when does the piece end? And like you said, Hannah, often conductors will, especially I think when the piece ends quietly, there's this sense that the piece ends, but the music doesn't really because it kind of evaporates into silence. And there's a kind of un, 
unmeasured amount of time after when the piece is still kind of going, it needs that silence to kind of blend in to the non-musical space of our everyday lives. Um, and so I often find with pieces that end quietly, um, you know, it's, it's a question if you have to kind of actually decide for yourself specifically, where does the piece start? Where does the piece end? But it is this interesting kind of fusion between the piece and everyday life where at some point after it's ended, it feels like the music really comes to a halt. And some of that silence is part of, of what you're supposed to include in, in the piece. And, you know, composers often notate this. There's Mahler specified in, in the second symphony that he would have liked a, a five minute pause between the first and the second movements, but not an intermission where people just sit there. And, um, this brings up all these really interesting questions. And so I actually, uh, I want to switch course and tackle this. I'm going to send you a new clip. This is an audible that we're doing live, but I want us to tackle this question of when does the music actually begin or end? And in this case, I want to think about a beginning, but this also applies to an ending. So I want us to listen to the very beginning of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and listen to how the piece starts and try to have it on a medium volume. It starts very quietly. And let's ask ourselves, does this piece start with the first sound played by a member of the orchestra? Or does this piece start before we actually hear the first notes. So let's listen to the beginning of Beethoven's Ninth and try to think about this question. When is the music actually starting? Is it the first notes that we hear? Is it before that? Is it after that? Um, So here's the beginning of Beethoven's Ninth. So there is the um, the opening of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, and people who have well, actually, I'm not even going to say anything. I'm just curious your thoughts on the character of that opening because it start, starts so softly. And do you feel like do you feel like there's like a definitive start, or it kind of picks up where the silence leaves off? Because I watched a video that was live a live recording of a performance, I, you clearly see the conductor raise the baton and the musicians start. So visually and experientially, there is a set beginning. But if you close your eyes musically, it's so subdued. It just, it's so soft and it creeps up on you. So I think... I don't know, it's it's hard to dissect the two between the music and the experience in terms of silence and non-silence. Yeah, I, and I think that's an excellent point. Like you said, and it's weird, as a conductor, you know, you have to give an upbeat and a downbeat and boom, here we go. But the experience of the, of the music um, 
uh, is really is different. And people have said about this opening that it's kind of like the creation of the world or something like that. Um, mm. And it kind of takes the elements of music from silence and slowly but surely that silence gets converted into something real. And then it goes on to the, the first movement and the whole ninth symphony and stuff like that. And I think it's a really interesting idea, this notion of we kind of start with silence and then the music, the music starts, but it just kind of picks up and then it grows. And so it, it raises some of these interesting questions. And so let's now just kind of, kind of spitball for a little bit and brainstorm about some of the potential answers to these questions. Hannah, I'm just curious to get your general thoughts. None of these have necessarily clear answers, but a piece that really, uh, here's, here's the first thing that we should think about. There's a piece by the composer John Cage, a very revolutionary piece, and it was called 433, four minutes and 33 seconds, and it's four minutes and 33 seconds of silence. It has a score, and you're, you know, it's technically for piano, I think, but obviously can be performed by any group of instruments. And the performers come out and they start the piece and sit there for four minutes and 33 seconds and then end the piece. And, you know, a lot of people have obviously offered up interpretations of this piece or thoughts on it. And one of the first questions, which I'm curious to get your thoughts on, if you have an answer, that's great. If, if not, that's totally understandable because these are challenging questions. But I, I think most people agree that Cage intended for this piece to be the music that was this piece was the ambient noise that you would hear in the concert hall or wherever you heard this piece. So any cough that someone made, any little humming that's going on from some air conditioning system, all of that is part of the unique music of that piece. And so inherently, that piece is this kind of living, evolving document. Um, That's one interpretation. And so every rendition of 433 in that sense is different. The other rendition is that those are those sounds are interruptions to the piece, and the piece is actually perfect silence. And perfect silence is a concept. It's not something that we can actually recreate in everyday life. But I think there's some really interesting aspect to the idea that we can kind of theorize perfect silence by listening to a quote-unquote piece of music that has all these interruptions and get at what it actually is. So do we think that those sounds, which one of those uh, sounds better to you, Hannah, or, or just I'm curious on your thoughts, is do you like that idea that, you know, new sounds or like sounds, ambient sounds in the hall can be part of the piece and in fact are that piece or do you like the idea that uh, that piece is actually perfect silence and those sounds are distractions natural distractions that will come up as a function of listening to music Hmm. I want to say like neither of those honestly because to me performatively 433 by John Cage is theater 
like that's just straight up theatrics to me of a performer going on stage to play this piece and it's just silence now like with sound with the discussion of sound of this piece i would say that any outside noise meaning like audience members or just parts of the building making noise I wouldn't consider that a part of the piece, to be honest, because I wouldn't consider it a part of any piece, though I would be very interested to read. I mean, did John Cage write anything? What was his interpretation of 433? Would you, did you just say? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I actually am not, I'm not sure if he gave a kind of clear interpretation of this piece. Like, this is what this is supposed to mean. Mm. Um, I could, I, I could be wrong on that, but I'm not familiar with, with anything of that, but it's generally agreed upon that his intention in this piece. And I'm not sure whether this is based on firsthand accounts and people discussing with him, or if this is just the, the agreed upon critical interpretation of what he meant, but his idea was that the music was the sounds in the hall um, mm. as opposed to perfect silence. And so that then, see, I think this raises another really interesting question because if the music there is the sounds in the hall, then isn't the music of any of the pieces that we listen yeah. to, wouldn't that also by definition include Let's say you are starting Beethoven's Ninth and someone coughs right before you start. Or in one of those rests that we were listening to, someone coughs. Is that part of the piece or is that not part of the piece? I think it's a really interesting question. And I think that's probably all up to the interpretation of the composer and what they think of the audience and noises from the audiences. I think there's a wide array of personalities amongst composers and a, a variety of opinions that we could probably ascertain from just basic knowledge of these composers that some would hate, um, you know, a coffer in, in the audience and want to kick them out. Um, so I, I think because that's how I was trying to interpret your John Cage question to me with while also thinking of other pieces in performance because other pieces in performance I do not consider you know an errant clap or someone dropping their program book or their cell phone going off to be a part of the piece I find it to be a part of the performance but not a part of the music itself yeah I think that's no but I think I think that's a really good point because then Here's the thing that I was thinking about today, which which felt like semi-revelatory to me. And this is not a unique idea that I've had. I just, I mean, this was a real uh, exciting thought that I had today, which is that if the coughs or something like that are not part of the piece that we're listening to, then isn't one of the most, isn't the closest that we can get to contemplating perfect silence rests in music because mm. what other time in life do we tune out the ambient noise intentionally 
you know, most times in life, we the ambient noise is just part of our experience. We might not notice it, but we also wouldn't say that it's not there. Versus if we hear a rest in music and someone coughs, we identify that cough to not be part of the music. That's something that we're not hearing. And so what we're trying to hear, which we can't fully realize, but in theory we might be able to theorize, is perfect silence. Because we're saying that all of those ambient noises are not part of the music that we're listening to. So I was, I was thinking about that today and it was like, whoa, what if, what if this is the only place in the world that the, the concept of perfect silence exists? <laughs> I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's, uh, maybe it's almost inception or matrix. Like, like I'm, my mind is a little upside down thinking about that. There you go. Wow. Well, that's what we're, that's what we're trying to do. But, uh, yeah, I was I was kind of blown by that. I, I hadn't fully thought about that before, and it's an interesting one. So then it brings us to another question, which is, and you mentioned this, Hannah, there's this big debate over, you know, clapping after movements and stuff like that. And I'm curious your thoughts on that. Do you feel as a, because I think people can be snobby about this and they say, you know, I think a lot of times people want to insist on that just to be snobby because they say, oh, this this piece has a narrative from the beginning to the end. You can't interrupt that. Um, and the question becomes, do we believe that or is a movement divider enough to say, OK, the music has stopped and now the music is going to start again? Is there And by that same token, why do people hold their coughs? until the breaks in movements. Clearly, something indicates to most people the music is done and we're going to start again. Mm -hmm. But if you're holding your coughs, because those aren't part of the music, why are you holding your applause? So I'm curious your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, I think there's a wide variety of, of thoughts on this. And I myself have varying opinions on it. I think I really enjoy having a live performance experience where the audience receives some sort of guidance from the conductor or from, you know, the, um, the leader of whatever the performance is. This is even outside of the classical realm, even, um, you know, going to a live concert or a live, uh, theater performance. It's, it can really set the audience goers at ease. Cause I think that especially in the classical music realm, there's a lot of questions as to how do I behave? Um, though my other thought is having worked at a performing arts organization that is sort of responsible for the experience of the audience goer. I want those audience goers to feel comfortable. And if they enjoy something, I want them to show it towards the, the hard workers on stage. So I am all for clapping after movements. I do it um, on occasion. <laughs> it depends who's sitting next to me. I'll get shamed into not clapping. I'll get shamed into clapping. But when I'm able to just fully be present and I find myself really enjoying a movement, I will clap because I feel as if that's even more compensation towards the performers on stage to tell them that you really enjoyed this piece. So it's, it's a very difficult question to answer in my opinion. And I think there's really no true answer. 
Yeah, I and just for the record, I think personally, I feel like most of the time this uh, kind of dismissiveness about people who clap in between movements is completely bogus and we don't need it at all. There are occasional moments, and I think we've come to something here, which maybe we can agree on, which is, this is kind of a simple one, this is not some philosophical claim, but if the piece ends loudly and it's like dramatic and bang, it ends, I think we can agree that it's pretty much ended and go ahead and clap. If a piece ends quietly, then sometimes I feel like there's that seamless transition where silence is part of the ending and then you move into everyday life. And so one thing that always, the only time that I've been annoyed by clapping is actually at the end of Get to Damarang, the clip, right after the clip that I just played you, Hannah. Mm-hmm. You've watched an opera for five and a half hours. <laughs> and it's Wagner, one of the most rambunctious, bombastic composers we have. And he decides to end this profound opera, this entire cycle, quietly with this theme that we've only heard a few times in the key of D flat. It's just this sublime ending. And there's often a tradition in opera to start clapping before the curtain has fallen, like as it's falling, as it's falling before the music is totally over. And that is a moment where, for me, you got to wait like 10 minutes before you applaud. Just sit there in the silence and, and let that end because that to me is the ultimate kind of encapsulation of this goes into silence and contemplation and then, you know, applaud some later time. Um, That's the only time I've been annoyed by applauding. But this is actually, so this has brought up one more question for me, and then we'll we'll wrap this because, of course, part of this whole point of this podcast is to raise more questions and just encourage our listeners to listen to silence in a more inquisitive way. But the last one I was thinking about, because Hannah, you pointed to this idea of 433 being performative. It's almost like theater. And I think that's a really, really interesting idea because here's the last question I have is we all understand when we go to a performance that it's a performance. It's called a performance for a reason. These are humans recreating music and uh, it's imperfect. There are people don't play everything totally right. And the question is, is that also part of the music? And kind of included in that question is, is music, are we defining music as the abstract concept, the notes on the page? And then when we go to a performance, we're not actually hearing music. We're hearing a music performance and we're all aware of that. And that's part of the human experience. Or is that the music itself? And so silence can really give us a clue to this because when we go and listen to a performance of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, if we think that silence and all of the noises included in that quote-unquote silence are music, then we've never heard the same Beethoven's Fifth twice. It's always a different thing. So is that what music actually is? Or is music the abstract concept of Beethoven's Fifth that gets kind of close to closely realized in a performance. And a second question to that, and I'm curious, so you can, you can try to tackle that one, Hannah, but here's another <laughs> one, is 
if we listen to music in our minds, this is something I do, you know, all the time. I've just got this endless record playing in my mind of random pieces of classical music. And I've never actually paused to think about this, but is there any ambient noise in my mental playing through of music? Or is that a perfect realization of the music? Is that like, and in, in kind of in conjunction with that, is the silence that I hear in my head when I'm playing through a piece like that pure silence? Or am I hearing ambient noise? So these are super philosophical questions, but yeah. I find them fascinating. I'm curious your thoughts, Anna. Um, I would say for the performance side of it, every iteration of Beethoven 5, all the way down to the recordings that you have just merely listened to off of your phone, all the way back to the very first um, time that Beethoven 5 came to life with Beethoven himself was a performance. So that should be considered as music. Like even the record that you're listening to is a performance. You're just not seeing it done live. Um, I, I wouldn't, I don't want to open the door into thinking about how those recordings get made because it just sort of, uh, ruins your thinking on how recordings get made, but (laughs) because it's all clipped together, but it's still, that's still performative. So I think you can't, um, think of one without the other, I suppose they, I think they have to be one and the same, but you can, you know, uh, criticize them separately in my opinion. And then, for the silences or the music in your brain and can there be complete uh, utter lack of ambient noise in your brain, I think it's possible. I'm reading a lot of philosophical books in my free time and it's your questioning of that made me think of a book that I'm reading right now by Eckhart Tolle. Um, It's called A New Earth and it's all about your ego and the, the voice in your head and that the voice in your head isn't you and that you can learn to silence it. And then I also think of like meditation is the almost utter form of, of silence. If you can be a very successful meditator. So I think it's possible to achieve, but almost impossible with the outside world that we live in. These are very abstract, difficult questions to answer. Yeah, for sure. And I think you pointed to, I think meditation is an excellent uh, example of, of how to try to answer some of these questions. Because when you meditate, at least when I've meditated, there's this kind of, you, you spend a certain amount of time listening to the sounds around you and getting acclimated to them. And so you're fully aware of the fact that there are ambient sounds around you. But then when you stop focusing on them and you look inward, there is a kind of like, perfect silence in that in, in some moments. Um, yeah. And so it's a really profound and interesting question to think about if music can kind of also get us to that, that level of silence. So and then I, yeah. sorry to interrupt, no. but I also wonder like if complete utter silence is even not possible, but like, um, okay. Or in a sense where I've done a, a I remember reading this study about how a complete 
completely silent room was manufactured scientifically and that human beings went into this room and couldn't stand it. Like they went nuts and into this completely utter silent room to the point where now with this conversation, it's making me think like, should we even have an utter silence in this world? Like I think noise to a certain extent is healthy for us to have. Yeah. I I mean, I, I find, I I usually sleep with white noise and it's a weird, it's a weird thing that that's like helpful that sometimes, but yeah, I think that's, and I don't think you can have in, in the, through the lens of the human experience, at least my own, I'm not sure that you can have perfect silence because there'll be like some sort of tiny little ringing in your ears or some sort of, I don't know. And I think, yeah, it, it makes sense that it would kind of drive you crazy perfect silence. But these are all questions that are really interesting. And I think music gets at the crux of, of so many of these. So I think we've probably raised more questions than, than given (laughs) answers. Um, but my encouragement for everyone is to, uh, think about this when you listen to music. It's one of, it's an art form that utilizes silence in such an effective and calm. It's, it's all over the place in music. And so I think this is a great thing to think about as you, as you listen to music. So Hannah, any, any final thoughts? Um, not at the moment. I'm just going to be thinking about this a lot for the, probably the next few days about silence and maybe even meditating it and looking for the silences in the music that I listen to between now and whenever. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to try to like, maybe I'll just get into this weird uh, mental cycle of trying to listen to, this is something that I don't think you can do. I'm probably going to go and now try to listen to myself playing through something in my head to see if it's perfectly silent. silent. And of course, doing that will not yield any results. But um, I'd encourage our listeners to kind of listen to the silences in the music that they listen to with this idea of clearly there's something contextual about the silences in the middle of a piece, but also when does this piece actually start? When does it end? And what does the silence do for this piece? So... With that, Hannah, thank you so much for for joining us as always. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving. Eat enough turkey for the both of us, hopefully. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we will be back with another episode shortly. In the meantime, happy Thanksgiving to all of you. And we will be back with another episode after the holiday break. Bye.